On this first edition of Leaders in Focus here at IMG Studios, we're going to meet the founder of one of the most talked about companies in the global sports industry. She's been an agent, she's been a tech entrepreneur, and now she's turned her attention to multi-club ownership, launching Mercury 13. We've got $100 million to spend on the future of women's football. We're going to talk business. Took me 147 meetings to get my first investment. Life. During labor, as my baby was literally coming out, my husband had the brilliant idea of bringing up one of the deals that we're doing as a way to distract me. And leadership. I think that there's been rules about what leadership looked like for too many years, um, and that leadership always looking male. Let's meet Victoire Kojavina Suki. This is Leaders in Focus. Victoire, it's great to have you with us. Thank you for doing this. I am going to suggest to you that the last few months in your life have been something like a roller coaster but you tell me sum it up <laughs> it's been worse than a roller coaster i'm really not sure the name of, of that elevator that drops you out of the blue um but it's been an amazing few months i had a baby i think that that's what you're referring to two babies actually a real <laughs> one and a, and a business one uh, that were born very much at the, at the same time um but as i've been saying so far women's football waits for no one I was certainly not going to wait for me or my baby, so so yeah, I started this the company Mercury 13 a couple of weeks before I gave birth, okay. uh, building the deck for it an hour before um, I actually was in labor, um, and then during labor, as my baby was literally coming out, my husband had the brilliant idea of bringing up one of the deals that we're doing as a way to distract me. <laughs> In, in hindsight, not the best idea he's had, but, you know, we're going to give him an A for effort. It's a brave move, isn't it? Brave <laughs> move. Um, we're going to talk about all of that and business life and leadership. And I'm really interested in your perspective on leadership. You've been an agent and sort of led the way in terms of uh, that world, particularly around women's football. Uh, you've led a tech company and now you're leading Mercury 13, which we'll come on to talk about. What does great leadership look like to you? Flexible leadership, I believe it. I think that there's been rules about what leadership looked like for too many years, um, and that leadership always looking male most of the time. Um, and so now that there is um, this opportunity for women to come into leadership and make decisions from a place that they're very much needed because they represent the other half of the world, um, I think a lot of women struggle to find their place. And so to me particularly, it's always been about not really thinking about what happened before me and making my own rules, breaking those that didn't serve me and reinventing others. And so um, I believe flexibility is, is number one, just trying to understand what different businesses need. Obviously, as you were saying, being an agent is different to leading a tech business and, and now club ownership is also very different from the, the previous two. And so I've always tried to understand where I'm sitting, what my teams look like, what are the people that I'm working uh, are and, and adapting to those situations to ensure um, that I bring the best out of people. Because at, at the end of the day, I think leadership is all about that, right? You have a team um, and you have to make them work for the same vision. They need to be aligned. Um, and then you need to really bring the best out of them. Um, so 
understanding where they're at in their own lives. And I'm, I'm big on emotions and being on, on bringing your personal life to work as well. I mean, my baby is here backstage, so clearly <laughs> that is something that I've done for a long time. And, and how can we understand human beings as employees um, from a 360 perspective, right? They're not just who they are at work, but they're you know, much broader than that. Thinking about that, actually, there, there was a lot of conversation at Leaders last week around more equity on boards, more women represented on boards, more female leadership, I suppose, within the sports industry. What Do you see that as an opportunity for the industry to have more women leading organisations or leading within the industry? Yes. Uh, I, I don't think I could ever say no to, to that question. Uh, absolutely. I think that, and it's something I spoke quite a lot on my panel at Leaders, you know, the big vision of Mercury 13 is banking on women starting to consume sports uh, and specifically football. And so if we don't have women in leadership positions, in decision making uh, positions, then it's going to be very hard to adapt to this new audience that is coming in that is majority female. And so, yes, being able to understand that from from a consumer standpoint all the way to to leading a company and understanding what women need in the workspace is is key to, to success. Any leaders that you've come across in your time that you think are sort of inspirations to you, whether they're in sport or in other industries, who are the leaders that have meant something to you or sort of you've looked up to and what have you admired about them? This is a very special question to me um, because those leaders are now on my team. And it's one of the reasons why I started the company at the time that I did. I actually went to them first to gauge the idea and said, am I crazy? Is there a space to invest $100 million into women's football in Europe? And I you know, spoke to people like Luis Vicente, who was uh, the former innovation officer at FIFA, Ebru Coxal, like the actual OG of women in football. <laughs> and those same people, when I told them the idea, they were like, this is incredible. I want to invest and I want to be a part of your founding team. And so, you know, they've now been my mentors for, for a few years, but I've looked up to them my entire career. Someone like Ebru, particularly being a woman mm. as well. And, you know, coming from a country like Turkey, very similar to Argentina in terms of, you know, how male dominated it is and how football crazy it is, but again, male dominated only. And so, um, you know, now working by her side and learning from her and seeing how she approaches meetings and how she frames uh, conversations. You know, she has a, a very uh, deep financial background. She spent mm. many years at Morgan Stanley and then went on and building one of the most successful careers in football for a woman. And then someone like Luis, uh, who I believe is a true um, ally. He's someone that really um, believes in the same f future that I do. Mm -hmm. uh, and that you know happened at Gloria when we first started speaking there. So Gloria was my, my tech right. business, and we had always, um, from the very beginning, wanting to talk to women for the first time in football, wanted to build a community that was inviting of women, but not only inclusive, but actually did something very um, thoughtful about it. Uh, and so he always believed in that, and he always saw the the financial upside that that would, would bring to the table, outside from the social upside of it, right? Outside of, of, of sports and football, you know, I've Whitney Heard, uh, CEO and founder of Bumble, is someone that I have, you know, looked up to for a long time. 
think she has not only an incredible story that that turned a you know the company into a very successful publicly traded mm. one, um, and she built it off the back of of gender equality and of giving women a voice, and I think that she was probably one of the very first ones in in the business realm. Now you know we have other types of businesses that are being very successful with that same message at the core of it, um, and you know I brought this up as well on stage at leaders. You know the Taylor Swifts and Beyonces of this world. Mm. You know they had at the very center of their product and of their messaging, female empowerment, self-identity, you know, gender equality, and they're generating billions. Barbie mm. movie being another example of that. You know, very feminist movie that, you know, made the the female director uh, Greta Herwig become the first director, female director, to break a billion in in the box office. So um, we are. Excited to to see that in women's football, we believe women's football is that fourth product to come in, and and I've learned a lot from other leaders in other spaces, and I think Whitney is is a great example of that. Let's go right back to the beginning. Where did your passion for football come from? Well, I'm half Greek, half Argentinian, 100% Argentinian when it comes to football. I'll say that <laughs> to clarify exactly, just to make sure. Um, I my father was an ambassador, so I, I grew up in many different cities, 13 to to be uh, exact. Um, and uh, football was one of the ways that I've had, probably the most important way that I've had to make new friends and connect with local communities, where I was changing schools and changing countries and languages. And um, my brother, thankfully, had taken me to a stadium from a very young age. Um, we're Racing fans. Um, my daughter received her first jersey yesterday. I'm very <laughs> excited. And um, I, he took me to, to the stadium at the beginning more so to escape my parents' divorce. So he thought it was a good distra distraction so I wouldn't see them fight. And, and I already at that age was understanding of what was happening and so the fo you know, football stadiums started to become like a second home to me, almost one that fe felt safe, safer than my actual home, mm. um, which is kind of crazy if you think about it because the, the, I'm talking about South American football stadiums, the experience is very different. Yeah. Um, but because I was you know, the youngest little girl in there, everyone kind of came around me to protect me and it felt you know, like like something that was safe to me. Uh, later on in my life, I then became uh, started getting aggressively bullying, uh, bullied at school, and then again, the football stadium became that place where, you know, all these men uh, that that I used to go every weekend would see me, recognize me, and like made sure that I was okay during the entire match. Um, and my my brother was a proper hooligan, um, <laughs> and so I I kind of was in the loudest rowdiest parts of the stadium where there was no seats. You know, we were all standing up, and still until today I get PTSD from goals. No matter where I am, because in in those stadiums when there's a goal, there's basically a human avalanche that goes wow. towards uh, towards the bottom of the stadium, so everyone would kind of like fall down. And during those moments, you know, I'd be here, and by the end of the goal celebration, I'd be here. Mm. Um, and it, it's still when, when, you know, my teams are scoring goals, I still feel that, like, <laughs> am I going to survive this piece? Um, I actually, I was at the Qatar World Cup, and I, I went there when I had just found out I was pregnant. And I turned around to my husband, and I was like, I have to take 
now Charlie, we didn't have her name, but I have to take the bean, I used to call her, uh, to see Messi win this World Cup. Like, I cannot, I have to to take her there. And we didn't know if Messi was going to play again after that. So I was like, I have to. And, you know, life made it in a way that I ended up going with my brother to the stadium. So we were there, you know, my brother and and me pregnant. And it was kind of like a full circle story. Mm. That's how it started. And, you know, I always felt... That football was my safe space, but I know that that's not the case for 99.9999% of women um, in my life and outside of my life. And so I've kind of built a career to change that. And so that's what Mercury 13 is all about. Favourite player? And were you ever a frustrated player? <laughs> Messi. He, he's, the, he's the one that uh, made me fall in love uh, with football from a very young age. Di Maria, also someone that I've loved quite a lot throughout my, my life. Um, Mary Earps on the, on the women's <laughs> side, I think she's a fantastic goalkeeper. Uh, she made me scream so loudly at the Euros that I got a noise complaint from the hotel I was staying at. <laughs> so I, th- those three. Um, and then am I a frustrated player? I'm, I'm not a player, I guess, let's put it that way. I look more like a dog with a balloon when you give me a football. <laughs> That's, uh... well, it's funny because when you were talking about your experiences of football, my, my reaction as a, my, from a, as a young female is that couldn't be further from my experience of football as a child. So I'm interested is how did you turn that passion into a career and how, I suppose, how do you hope to create more moments like that for young girls? So I studied fashion in London. Um, and then after that, I went on and worked for some very big titles at Condé Nast um, as a stylist and kind of, you know, worked for some of the most powerful women in fashion until one day my mother gave me a call. Um, and she was a wealth manager at the time based out of Miami. And she organically had started having a lot of soccer players, professional soccer players as clients. And she found this gap in the market where a lot of this mostly Latin American players wanted to come to the MLS. We're talking about Mm. 2013, 2014, so at the beginning of the MLS. Um, But weren't able to kind of break into the market for many different reasons. Number one being the fact that the MLS was very much modeled after an American big sport. And so my mother, you know, had, had seen that and basically one day calls me out of the blue. I was at my, my, my job in New York. I was working for Netta Porter. And she tells me, you know, I, I see all these players that are wanting to come to the MLS. And because I'm based in Miami, they keep asking me about it. I think there's a niche here and something that we could, could do together. You know, I'd take care of, of the negotiating their contracts and, and dealing within the clubs and their agents, almost brokering the deals. And you can look after the, the marketing side of things. Um, and, you know, in my mind that day, was, it was a, a turning point in my life, for sure, if I look back, because I firstly really wanted to work with my mom. She's really? also a big OG and, you know, working with her was kind of a, a dream come true. Uh, and then the, the second piece was more around the fact that I didn't think fashion was my long-term career for many different reasons. And so 
Uh, I always joked at the beginning as kind of let go of the fashion models to go work with their husbands, uh, <laughs> which were football players. Um, but it was it only took me about two weeks to realize that I, I was going to dedicate the rest of my career and, and life to football. I had been a fan and I had loved the sports and it had made me feel so many things. It had provided me of so much in my life that now I had like a front row seat to actually having an impact on the game. Mm. And as a natural entrepreneur, I think uh, that I had always been since I was very young, football was kind of that space where there was a lot of problems to be solved. And so now, you know, 10, 12 years fast forward, I've kind of been in different aspects of the sport and I keep finding problems to solve. So I guess uh, I, I was right. When does women's football, from a professional standpoint, come onto your radar? It's funny because at that point, a lot of people were like, why don't you go represent women? Because we were women. But there was no market, there was no industry yeah. at the point. Women didn't need an agent uh, in any way, shape, or form. And so, um, we, you know, started the career in men's and then because of our, um, I guess, brand and our story, right, we were a mother and a daughter, both blonde in a world that was <laughs> filled with suits, uh, we got a lot of attention from the press and then started building this being the women in the sport. Um, and so, you know, we had a lot of um, opportunities to speak on stage about our experience and kind of a lot of uh, amplification of the message. Mm -hmm. And so it became very natural to both my mother and I, I think more so me because I was younger as well, to take on a responsibility almost of showing the world what a woman in this space would look like. And so at that point, you know, I made a lot of efforts to look extra feminine and, and wear makeup wow. and heels. And because I knew that a lot of younger girls were looking at me and trying to think if football was maybe something they wanted to do. And so I think that it was it began there and then naturally you know, starting to understand what women's football looked like. And so in 2019, I went to the World Cup in France. And that first match that I, I'm never gonna forget, it was Argentina versus Japan. Um, our, the Argentine national team at that point was in a very different place uh, than it is today. Most of the girls on the team had two or three jobs outside of, of being professional players. They weren't even professionalized, actually. They got mm. professionalized after they came back from the World Cup. Uh, but they were cooks in schools and cleaning ladies. And some of them had been fired from their jobs to go represent their country yeah. at the World Cup and and watching them then play in uh, Parc de Prince, uh, Prince in, in Paris, a stadium I had been many times to, mm. to watch PSG and kind of suddenly realizing and almost tasting what the future had in store in football and it was all female. It was families, it was young kids at the stadium. It was a real safe environment, not what I was used to. Um, and then women doing something that men had been do doing for so long and kind of sending the strongest message. I've, I still get like goosebumps from this because every time I watch a women's football match, I still get this feeling, which is really like seeing what the future looks like, not only for football, but for our society and our world where women take on roles that they were never allowed to take before and own them in their own way. And so at that point, it became clear to me that I was going to do something mm. with women's football. Didn't know really what it was going to be. Right around that time is when I, I founded Gloria. 
and you know the whole um, idea of Gloria originally was scouting, but then it kind of evolved into the fandom side because of COVID, and so there weren't players. Um, you know, there weren't any players on the on the pitch, so we had to 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 pivot. And you know, we said, okay, we're going to build an online community for football fans, but we have to make sure that we're actively working to bring in women. And so that's really when it all started. And I I started also building this thesis about what the future would look like. Um, so yeah, today I'm I'm very lucky and and um, proud to be dedicated 100% of my time to women's football. But it took me a few years to get here. So thinking about how the women's football's landscapes changed, can you talk us through a little bit about where the idea of Mercury 13 came from? And I'm really interested in the story of the name as well. <laughs> so I after selling my business to One Football, yeah. the largest competitor, I took on as their vice president of women's football. So they brought me in um, and I spent essentially six months at one football. And one of the things that I realized was that women's football was operating and still continues to operate in a very different speed than men's because mm -hmm. it's inherently a startup. Basically trying to build that and having real impact from a business that had been around for 15 years, you know, serving men, gave me very little flexibility. Right. And so I learned a very valuable lesson, which was, you know, women's football, if I want to work in it and I want to have real impact, I need to become independent. And so by the time I was about seven and a half my, my, uh, months pregnant, I decided to resign to essentially go on my own. Obviously, at one football, they had deprioritized the women's game quite a lot because they were going under their, their own financial crisis, which is often the case. It happens in, in many other businesses, mm -hmm. including clubs, right, where women's are always going to be the first to go. And I, in my mind, it's like I never want that to ever happen again. And the only way I'm going to do it is if I start my, my own company. And so at that point, it's like, I'm going to take some time off, have this baby, and then decide what I want to do later <laughs> on. And so I took a, what ended up being a month off. Um, the first month off I took uh, in 10 years. I then had a few football clubs that knew that my investors at Gloria were investing in women's football in the U.S. And I'm speaking more specifically about Alexis Ohanian, who had been the founding investor of Angel City. Mm -hmm. And they had started to connect the dots and say, well, can we raise money as well? And let's use Victoire as a way to, to get introductions to those investors. And so, you know, I before making any introductions, I wanted to make sure those deals were, were good. And, and so I run my own due diligence. And so I, I did the first introduction, the second introduction, and then by the third one, it's like this deal is too good to pass. Like I, I need to do it myself, not really? someone else. And so that's around that time is when I realized that there was a lot of other clubs in Europe and in Latin America and you know down the line all over the world that would be looking for investment and building a vehicle for it could be a great business in many different uh, ways, not only financial one and, and the upside of, of you know making multiples um, by coming in into an industry early on uh, but also on the on the social side right this is something that could drive gender equality in a way that I could have never imagined with any other business and so it was about two weeks before I, I gave birth where I was like I'm gonna start that multi-club ownership group um, 
that will focus only on women's football, that will look for majority stakes, um, that will look for existing strong management teams that need capital and know how to be able to move faster and capitalize on the momentum women's football is having at the moment. And that is ultimately commercially uh, primed for success, which is uh, a big, very big part of our thesis. And so then the time came where I had to name this thing. Um, and I have always been secretly obsessed with space and, and you know, the, the universe and all these things. And um, I had heard of this story called Mercury 13 of uh, a group of 13 women that um, were trained to become astronauts and become the first women to ever go to the moon back in the 60s. And so this private, uh, very wealthy businessman had uh, essentially funded the entire program and trained the women in the same way that men were trained to, 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 at NASA to go to the moon. Um, after 10 years of training, they presented the program to NASA and NASA immediately declined it on the basis of their gender. They were women, so that meant that they were not good enough to go to the moon. And so those women never got a chance to go to the moon, with the exception of one, Wally Simpson, that managed to go last year uh, with Jeff Bezos, so not with NASA. And um, to me, it is basically an homage to those women, because if we really think about it, if they ha actually made it to the moon, they would have changed the world and they would have changed the trajectory of gender equality. A lot of more women would have become scientists, a lot more women would have become astronauts. Uh, but that didn't happen and so to us this is our chance to take women to the moon or our moonshot which is what we call it what strikes me speaking to you victoria is just like the boldness in the decision making that you have you know you've talked about wanting to work with your mum leaving your job at seven and a half months to, to the sort of i suppose quote average person they're in, like they're incredibly bold decisions how do you approach decision making Great question. Uh, I am married to a professional poker player. He makes wow. about 100 to 150 risk assessments every day that he plays. It's part of poker. And so I've learned a lot from him in terms of making those decisions quickly, assessing the risk that basically they can come on. And I think when I was younger, it came more from not knowing any better and being almost naive about it and like thinking that I could do things um, even though they were, you know, turned out to be very, very difficult. I mean, even on the fundraising side, it took me 147 meetings to get my first investment. Wow. And, and, and that was, if I had known that, probably would have not taken that challenge. I think now that I'm a, a little more mature, that I've had a lot more experiences under my belt, you know, I, I, I'm able to assess risk in a way that is fast. And I think that the speed at which I make those decisions is very much the secret ing ingredient. I don't ponder upon it for too long. Um, and then, you know, sometimes I would say nine out of 10 times it works out in my favor. You know, once in a while it doesn't, but <laughs> it's fine. You talked earlier about the way in which uh, women's football has sometimes replicated men's football. And obviously one of the headlines around Mercury 13 is the multi-club model, which we've seen several examples of um, good and not so good, I suppose, in men's football. How different is your multi-club model approach going to be from some of those examples that we see in the men's game? 
Well, I mean, inherently it's always going to be different because the men's game and the women's game are two different products with two different audiences. And so the way that, you know, we're going to be structuring our portfolio and our investment approach will look very different from a city football group, for example. Now, in terms of our approach, it's going to be different because we are at the very beginning of an industry um, that on the other side has had a hundred year head start. And that means that when we're looking to potentially buy these clubs, we need to contextualize those investments to where they are locally and where they are in an industry, from an industry standpoint, which means basically the league in which they're playing in. Here in Europe, you know, the WSL is by far one of the most developed uh, women's professional leagues. And so that makes it a very appealing market for us because it's essentially we know that we're already going with a movement that's going in a certain way. We don't have to do much about it. Now, if we're looking to buy a team in Greece, for example, that's a very different conversation. But that doesn't mean that it's less valuable to us. It's just that the strategy will be different. And so to answer the question you know, more specifically, I think the most important thing to know about about our multi-club is that firstly we only invest on the women's teams even if those clubs have a men's team we find a way to legally divide them and to ensure that we have control over the the female side of things and so this is the, the foundation of our thesis is that women need independence to be able mm -hmm. to succeed um, not only on the pitch but off the pitch as well but I believe that you know women's football kind of came a little bit out of the blue for a lot of, of these clubs. Um, I mean, they've had the teams for years and years and years, but they had never done much until Barcelona very you know famously opened up their company to their women uh, in a championship uh, um, Champions League quarterfinal and kind of showed the world that there was appetite for for the game to um, to continue to evolve on the on the women's side. I suppose one of the perceived problems with multi-club ownership is this notion of feeder clubs being developed. And obviously, if you're the club that is feeding talent, you're not, not as pleased about that as the clubs receiving the talent. Do you sense five, ten years down the line that that might be a similar challenge in, in women's football? Not at all. I actually have managed to convince some of the people that have been, you know, talking about men's multi-club for years that this is a model that's actually built for women, not for men, uh, for this exact same reason. Our approach, we're not going to have a marquee team. Um, there's, there are no marquee teams today in, in women's football. I mean, obviously you have some well-known brands, but that doesn't make them the best on the field automatically either. And so I think that we are going to be able to have a hybrid approach where we'll probably work with some of the biggest clubs in Europe from the men's side, as well as smaller clubs that have been very successful on the pitch, but maybe the brands are not as well known as the others and kind of build this ecosystem that is very uh, egalitarian and understands where those teams are at. I believe that at the end, we're really having an approach that makes sure that every team is going to be as successful as possible in the conditions that we are inheriting and then hopefully you know changing those to make sure that they can grow as fast as possible understanding the time in history we are living in because you know we're going to be doing a lot and hopefully we'll set a new standard for what club ownership looks like for women 
Uh, but at the end of the day, what's happening right now in women's football is com goes way outside of of what we're doing. I mean, we are standing on the shoulders of giants. Uh, will ensure to to continue fueling you know this fire that is happening by by building mercury 13 and by you know bringing new uh teams to the world and and to women which i think is the key point here this is a big vision of mercury 13. we believe women are going to start consuming sports they're going to start loving football and we want to be a part of building those brands of building those experiences that have never been really built in football before uh, because the typical consumer of football was a man but now mm -hmm. we're thinking it's going to be a woman it's going to be a mom it's going to be family oriented it's going to be young teenage girls what does that look like and how can we basically leverage every club in our portfolio towards that big vision thinking about you talk you used the word startup and this was a this was a common theme last week in leaders in terms of thinking about women's sport but in this case women's football as a startup business that you're investing in you know and for me the next phase is how do we realize that valuation so as an investor in women's football what are you looking for when you're thinking about the opportunity for the business to grow over the next five to ten years startups are built over potential mm -hmm. right those are those that's how you value a startup business is how much can they do how much market share can they own how much revenue could they make for us when we're looking at clubs we're looking at the potential of those clubs but for us is really understanding beyond the on pitch and what they've done there and how can we help those clubs become financially sustainable mm -hmm. in a way that it becomes a very lucrative business, which we think we can do. Uh, well, I'm banking my whole career that we can do for sure, uh, because we have the second mover advantage to men's football. Uh, and so inherently men's football has some failures in terms of, of how they run the businesses. I mean, it's one of the only industries in the world where the employees, AKA the players, make more money than any other part of the business. If you think about it, that's pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. And that is not sustainable. I mean, we've seen that, that crack a lot of clubs, uh, especially in Europe. Mm -hmm. And so how can we learn the things that they've done well, as well as the things that they've done wrong, and then essentially building financially sustainable businesses on the women's side? Um, the commercial side is going to always be our focus. I think that the next two to three years, we're going to see a lot of brands coming into the sport, sponsoring the sport in a way that we've never seen before, whether that's because there are categories of brands that have never been a part of football, fashion, beauty, pharma, baby products, you know, even fertility clinics, um, all the way to understanding how can they get involved beyond just slapping their logo on a jersey. And I think Angel City has done a fantastic job. Uh, they've, you know, built in a CSR community aspect to it, where 10% of their revenues um, are, you know, being reinvested into their local communities, which for brands is something that kind of ticks a lot of boxes at the same time. And so, how can we also learn from them and from Americans at monetizing sports uh, and bringing it to Europe, which is, you know, where football belonged to the last 100 years? We've seen this incredible opportunity that, again, you've outlined around women's football. You can see it across Leaders Week, across the industry. So much upside. What can go wrong for women's football over the next two, three, four, five years? I think this independence. If 
clubs don't understand that women need to be treated differently and separately from their men's game, they're going to continue to suffer and continue to be in the shadow of those men's team. So I believe that if we continue to, to kind of look at it in that way, then that's going to make a lot of teams not reach their full potential. It's probably the number one and, and you know, only problem that could happen. And give us one word to sum up the future of women's football. You can have two if you want. I can have two. Gender equality. A good note on which to finish. Victoire, thank you very much indeed. Thank, thank you, you very much for having me.